Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your hosts, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. Welcome back to Daybreak Devotions. It is July 18th. 2023, a Tuesday, and I'm so glad to be with you here in the studio from the McLeansville Baptist Church. This is Pastor Mike Barnett, and I am solo right now in the broadcast today as my cohort in Compassion is away on mission right now. But as we pick up from where we were yesterday, we actually had more of that broadcast that we were doing, and we just kind of recorded about eight more minutes of the discussion that we were in yesterday. So we're actually going to be joined by Pastor Corey Cantrell here in just a few minutes as we continue this discussion about, I guess overall, talking about coming to terms with the reality of our spiritual warfare. And we got on this topic last Friday as we closed out the week, sort of coming off of this uh, series that we've been in on Galatians, taking a break from that, knowing that uh, Brother Corey was going to be out again this week on mission. And so that was something very near and heavy in my heart last week. Not heavy in a bad way. Um, I guess I should say it was weighty in my heart, and we spent some time on it in the church, and we wanted to spend some time time in it on the radio last week. Well, did not really know on Friday that it would turn into at least three days of doing this, but here we are, and it's such an important topic. Even today... And yesterday, I have seen how the reality of spiritual warfare is playing out in my personal life, but more to the point, the larger point, in my life as a Christian in community and in fellowship with our church. I mean, everywhere we look, these battles are real. The enemy hates God. He hates us. He hates the cause of Christ. And yet here we are. We are like soldiers deployed into the front line on this mission of the invasion of the kingdom of God into this world to rescue fallen people, to redeem, to reclaim the hearts of men and women. And so it's an honor to be a part of that, but it doesn't make it easy. It's hard sometimes. And these are all the things that we want to talk about. Think about this. The Laodicean church was taken out by their own Mm self-sufficiency. We don't need anything. Demas was taken out by the enticement of the world, like the bright lights, big city. We don't know the details, but but think about this. Uh, Job was taken out by direct satanic assault on his life. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot to learn about spiritual warfare in the life of Job through the whole book. But just thinking about the first part of it, where Satan, the subtle one who always brings division and fear and scorn and mistrust and accusation and temptation, he comes in and, and he's... He's casting Job in a bad light. He's presenting Job before God as, well, of course he trusts you. You've just blessed him and given him everything, and you won't let anything bad happen to him. Of course he's going to honor you and all that. And so God, doing what God does to get his own glory, says, okay, well, go ahead. Touch Touch his stuff. Now, I want you to think about this. We learned something about the power of Satan in this. In the first assault against Job, Satan comes with the power of a physical storm. Mm -hmm. Remember Friday we talked about the power to 
of the power of death, the power that Satan has to to do physical damage in that way. Well, it's again here in Job. He comes with a storm. Remember, it was a great was a whirlwind that came yeah. through and blew him down. Like that, what that came because God said to Satan, "All right, go ahead, do what you want to do." And Satan brings a whirlwind. That well, where does that fit into your theology? Yeah, like like wake up, people. There's a reality here we have to think about. And then there's this violent horde of bandits that come down and kill everybody. You know, all the servants, the children are killed by the storm. This is, this is crazy. The second assault, when Job comes back and says, oh, yeah, well, a man, he'll still serve you. as long He'll lose everything he's got, but as long as he's okay, he'll still serve you. And God says, okay, but you can't kill him. You can't touch his life. So Satan comes back this time, and we have the actual introduction of physical disease being brought on by Satan, mm-hmm. personally touching this man Job. And the boils, and then that those physical boils, how that grieves his heart. He's in this struggle with his friends, this struggle with his wife. Man, this is deep spiritual warfare right here, okay? I just think that some time pondering over the power that Satan has goes back to what you said Friday. We cannot act like that Satan, you know, well, I'm saved now. Satan can't do anything to me. And neither can we just take the, the approach of that everything that happens is Satan. Mm-hmm. We have to be serious about this. The reality of the spiritual warfare and the danger of our enemy is a more balanced view that is also far more dangerous than what most people are thinking. For example, when you look in the New Testament, you'll see the work of Satan. Here's just three ways he, he, he brings assault. So there's, again, physical assault, Luke 13. Jesus heals this woman that has this crippling disease, He calls it an infirmity in verse 11 of Luke 13. He says, this woman has had this infirmity for 18 years. It's a feebleness of the body. But in verse 18, he attributes this infirmity to the work of Satan, and he says that Satan has held her bound Mm -hmm. for 18 years in this physical infirmity. I'm just asking, listener, think about your theology. Some completely ignore the fact that there is an enemy called Satan. Yep. And they think, well, you know, this just happens. This stuff happens. Other people, you know, are are getting it. They're seeing it. You know, understand that there's real, that sometimes the physical, as I said before, sometimes, maybe I didn't say this Friday, but I said it on the Wednesday night study, sometimes a headache means you're dehydrated and you need to drink water. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a headache could literally be a physical assault from Satan, and you need to pray, and you need to seek deliverance from that. But that's not our mindset. Mm-mm. Mental assault. Mark 8, verse 32 and 33, Peter begins to rebuke Jesus, trying to correct Jesus about what he says about his own coming suffering and death. And what does Jesus do when, when, Mark, when, uh, when Peter does that? He turns to Peter and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. He calls out the satanic influence in Peter's life. And what was that influence? Again, it was a form of pride. It was the antagonism against the will of God, the tendency of man to be persuaded that he knows better than God. Lord, that's not going to happen to you so long as I'm here, mm-hmm. you know. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. So that is a Satan impacting the thinking of Peter. It's a mental assault. I think probably in our world, church world, and experience, we probably have less thought about that than we do the physical. Like, we will not, we'll, we'll understand, like, oh, yeah, that, Satan can afflict our body or what. Maybe, maybe we see that. We don't realize the power of the thoughts. No. We're, we're so self-condemning. 
with our thoughts. That hey, These are wicked thoughts that are generating from my fallen heart. Some of, to what you're saying, some of them are. Sometimes they're the result of, of our own sinful lust. Sometimes they're the result of the enemy that knows our sinful lust and knows what it takes to get us distracted and off base and things that we do not want. I don't want to think this way. I don't want to have those thoughts. Where did that come from? Well, now all of a sudden we're chasing the thought. That's not generating from us. That is a wonderfully masterful enemy that knows exactly what he's doing to say, and just whisper that little thought, and then our flesh runs with it, takes yep. the ball and runs. As Nathaniel, my son, said when we were talking about this the other day, you know, it starts in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. It's Satan whispering to Eve and putting those thoughts in her mind. I don't know, did the serpent actually communicate with an audible voice, like talk like we're talking now? I don't know. doesn't matter. That voice of subtlety and deceit was coming from satanic power, yep. and it continues to this day. The Bible has so many examples of this. I know we're out of time. Let me hit this one other category, and then we'll just pick this up again later on. But spiritual assault would be the third uh, category that I would just lift out of the New Testament examples, Luke 22. Okay, We have a double look at this in Luke 22. We have Satan entering into Judas in verse 3, literally taking possession of Judas's body and mind, to the best of our knowledge. That is a spiritual inhabitation there, of Judas. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot I don't understand about that. I, I, I admit it. There's a lot I don't understand, but I, it's what the Bible shows us. And he leads him into direct betrayal of Jesus. Well, then later in the chapter in verse 31 and 32, again, it's Jesus and Peter. And Jesus speaks to Peter to tell him that Satan is after him to do what? Here's what Jesus says. Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. And that takes me full circle back to Job's story because it's reminiscent of what Satan does about Job to God when he says, let me get him, let yeah. me have him, and I'll show you. And that's exactly what Jesus says here. He said, literally Jesus said, Satan has demanded to have you handed over so he can riddle you like wheat, which means to sift you until all the substance is gone and all that's left is the shallow, weak part of you. That's what that means. Yeah. And, and he wants to bring you down and cause you to fail. But the good part of that is the next line, but I have prayed for thee. Yeah. And so every Bible passage we're looking at, I just want to stay with, but of course we can't. We'll have to move on. And so that was the conclusion of what we had previously recorded at the end of yesterday's broadcast that I wanted to bring back in. But I want to conclude this study on spiritual warfare today by sharing with you how I concluded this study in the church last week. Because after we had considered uh, these, these two things that we've talked about over the last two days, the context, or rather the importance of having a context of, a context of spiritual warfare, also the importance of having a theology of the devil and of evil in the world, those things are very important. But the third thing that I wanted to bring to our church and now to you is to consider the idea of a spiritual warrior ethos. Now, if you're not familiar with that terminology, warrior ethos, it does come from the military. One of the first things that a new soldier learns when reporting to basic training is that they are going to be expected to know the warrior ethos. And so in the Army, the warrior ethos includes four statements, four lines, but they, they're basically a code of conduct. They're four principles that a soldier is to live by. 
I will always place the mission first. I will never leave a fallen comrade. I will never quit. I will never accept defeat. Now, they're very simple statements. But borrowing from the, uh, the U.S. Army website under the definition of warrior ethos, here's what it says. The warrior ethos is a set of principles by which every soldier lives. In a broader sense, the warrior ethos is a way of life that applies to our personal and professional lives as well. It defines who we are and who we aspire to become. Now, I really like that, especially as we apply it to a spiritual understanding because one of the principles that we have been teaching around the church this year, really longer than that, but we've been emphasizing heavily this year, is the be first, then do principle, which means that serving God should flow from the inner transformation of our heart where we are being changed into the likeness of Jesus. And so learning how to be first and then do. And the word ethos is a word which means character. That's what it is speaking of and implying. Now, it is a Bible word. The Greek word ethos is in the Scriptures, and I don't want to press this too much. I don't want to try to make something out of it that's not there. But as you find that word used in the Bible, it is used in ways that are speaking of customs and manners and traditions. For example, Luke chapter 2 and verse 42, it seems like a very young 12-year-old Jesus is already establishing a, a spiritual warrior ethos. It says that when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And so it was the normal standard thing for them to do. It was The word custom is the word ethos in the Greek. Well, in terms of applying this to a spiritual warfare or a spiritual warrior, how do we make this application? One of the great passages of Scripture that informs me in terms of thinking about what it means to be a spiritual warrior and to live in a world that is at war is, is the book of Jude. Now, this little letter, 25 verses, has so much to say about spiritual warfare. But I just want to jump right down toward the end of it, where Jude gives us this exhortation about developing ourselves, and in the context, developing ourselves as warriors for God. He says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Those verses really speak to me about the nature of conditioning ourselves, of having a, a soul-building uh, exercise routine, a spirit-building exercise routine, really developing our inner man. And that's what a warrior ethos does. It helps us to—we we sort of establish some principles in our life that, that, that say, this is how I am going to live. Now, one of the things or one of the ways that I would encourage people to think about doing this, think of it as what is going to be my way of life. Obviously, that is going to be informed by Scripture, and it needs to be informed by prayer. But think about your way of life, your defining character, rooted in your values, the values and honor and responsibility that God has laid upon your heart. It's very akin to something that we you may have heard the term or the phrase a rule of life but it's a daily, weekly, or monthly set of holy practices that'll keep us strong in the Lord. But it's a way to summarize it into a concise and easy way to remember and to repeat and to pray over uh, as we go throughout our days. And so 
I was thinking about our soon-coming Way of Holiness conference that we'll be doing here at the church. It's a, it's kind of a, um, an intensive three-day meeting where those that, that want to get involved, they, they set aside time to separate from the world and really focus on developing uh, spiritual disciplines in their life. Isaiah 35 has always been the supporting text for this focus on learning the way of spiritual life or of walking in the holiness of the Lord. And by the way, that's no small task. It's not a way which is easily mastered, but I think it's more about learning how to be mastered by the Holy One rather than learning how to be a master of holy things, right? The more we give ourselves over to Christ, the more we allow him to fill us and the Holy Spirit to lead us. So these are disciplines of the spiritual life, which I've come to think of as habits of holiness, exercises which train the soul in the way of Jesus. These are practices that we can do in our own power, which will aid us in living with God in such a way that we can do what is only possible by his grace. Now, there is no definitive list of spiritual disciplines, but almost any list would include practices such as prayer, solitude, spiritual reading, fasting, community, worship, giving, contemplation. Now, all that may sound like very passive things, but these are not the practices of soft saints. These aren't the practices of weekend warriors in the spiritual realm. These are disciplines of spiritual warriors, strong saints. This is the way of those who have learned that this life in Christ is not some like a tourist attraction that we're on. You know, we're going through life just seeing all we can see and getting all we can get. Yeah, there's a few bumps along the way. But rather, we come to understand that true followers of Christ see life as a deployment in the invasion of the kingdom of God into this world. And so it's no mere casual Christian stuff here. Now, along those lines of the spiritual warrior, again, I want to bring up this idea. I'm, I'm talking about this idea of a spiritual warrior ethos, this code of conduct that would define who you are as a warrior in Christ for his kingdom. So it, it is a core devotion of the heart as it pertains to living on the front lines, living under assault by the enemy. We've been talking about that in this series of discussions. Living surrounded by fellow warriors who are depending on you. You have brothers and sisters in Christ who need you to be strong. And as it pertains to being on mission to follow Christ into the rescue of those who are still being held captive by the wicked one. Now, I'm going to share with you my spiritual warrior ethos. But I want to be clear about this. I don't want to be misleading. What I have captured in, in on paper is not the result of a one-hour kind of project I did one day during my prayer time. But it is rather the result of years of learning and testing and failing and recovering by the grace of God. It is, I think it's fair to say, the latest and most refined of many efforts that I have made over the years to have a code which I could easily live by that is definitely biblical and reflects biblical instruction and value, um, but that also allows me to be able to relate my my mindset, my spiritual mindset, my spiritual warfare code to others, and also that's concise enough that I can pray over it during my day, whether I'm needing to just bring my heart back to God just purely for a devotional standpoint or whether I'm in the battle. This is something that I can go to as a way of praying. Now, the reason I say all that is because you may try this. I'm encouraging you to, to, to work on it, sit down and think about how you would put together a spiritual warrior ethos. 
But you may sit down and try it, and you may think, well, that was really easy. Like you get done in 15 minutes. You, you craft three, four, five statements that, that fit where you are, and that's perfectly fine. You may sit down and try it and say, man, this is too hard. I can't do this. Either way, what I want to encourage you in is that this is a spiritual discipline practice in and of itself. It is kind of bringing together prayer and contemplation and journaling and doing it in a place of solitude with some biblical you know, perspective. But either way, that progress and effort that you put into it will not be wasted. You will benefit from it. So just go at it with a devout heart and be honest in prayer. Uh, realize that what you're going to do is craft something that you're going to strive by God's help to live up to, and you're going to train to it. You know, I'm still trying to live up to this ethos. I, I, I come short of it all the time, but I know the man of God I want to be. And having this code of conduct, these principles of spiritual living, uh, they, they help me. They frame it for me and give me something that I can live into with the Lord's help. So real quickly, here's the spiritual warrior ethos that I was able to put down last week as God laid this on my heart. Number one, I'm going to give you, each one will have a word that begins with the letter A, and then I'll, I'll kind of phrase that out with a statement. So number one, abstain, abstain. I will purpose my heart to avoid evil and excess. And I really get encouragement from Daniel 1.8. Daniel purposed in his heart, you know, that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. So abstain. I know how that applies in my life. I don't want to give myself over to things that might be all right for me to do, but I even find that when I, I can get into those things in excessive ways and it, it hurts me spiritually, it becomes a weight in my spiritual life. So I know I need to practice this thing of abstinence every day in my life. Make sure I abstain from that which I know to be evil and abstain from the excess of things that can become evil when I let too much of it in my life. Number two, align. I will pursue paths of righteousness with God. Psalm 23, 3, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And so I know I want to not only abstain from the excesses that would pull me from God, but every day and throughout the day, I want to align my heart and my mind to walk in the paths of righteousness, which God is laying out for me to walk in. Number three, abide. I want to pray without ceasing. Just keep my mind and my heart in the spirit of prayer all the time. Paul said we can do that. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. And just learning how to be in that attitude of prayer all the time. Always just you know a moment away from being able to call on the Lord or receive word and guidance from God. And number four, advance. I will promote Christ and his kingdom by growing in grace. 2 Peter chapter 1 Verse 1 through 8, friends, I cannot encourage you enough to spend time in those, those verses that Peter gives us. How he tells us God has given us everything we need to live a life of godliness and holiness, and it's in those precious promises of his word. And from there and from living and abiding in that, we can add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance, and we can work all the way up to charity, which is the supreme of God's love. And in first or Second Peter chapter three verse eighteen, he just he he exhorts us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so abstain, align, abide, advance. Just having those four words to frame my spiritual warrior ethos. It helps me to walk with God. It helps me to stay close to the Lord. It helps me in my battles. You know, when I'm when I'm facing the enemy, when I'm facing temptation or even accusation. 
Boy, these things are really helpful. And so I want to encourage you to work on that uh, as a spiritual exercise over the days ahead. All right? And I just want to thank you so much for listening. been great to share these things with you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.